0: Welcome, welcome, guys. We are back for another episode of The Lock-In. I am joined, as always, by the now twice GPI Global Poker Award nominated, Dara O'Carney. Dara, how are you today?
1: Uh, I'm very good. Um, you said twice nominated, I mean, I guess for the chip race, yeah. I'm also claiming a third one. I, obviously, the Last Call documentary. Oh, yeah. which Which is all about me, obviously. Well, I mean, okay, there's two episodes about Patrick Antonius and... There's one episode about Jens Koolen and but uh, yeah, no, it's great to be up for the uh, podcast thing again. Thanks to everybody who voted for us, but mostly thanks to everybody who listens to us and uh, who helps us spread the word on social media.
0: Absolutely. And I must say, the only episode of that documentary I watched was your one. So as far as I'm concerned, you're the star of that one, too. It was lovely to be a guest in your own home there just only a few days ago, Dara.
1: Indeed, yeah. Um, it was great to have you over. Uh, I, I, I wrote my review of last year blog and the main thing was maybe we'll get back to normal this year. There is kind of grounds for optimism on that front and uh, we're all going to have to learn how to socialize again and meet, meet people in person.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, I do want to point out at this point that uh, you do seem to have a, a nasty graze on your chin there and you may be bleeding from that graze throughout this uh, this lock-in. Uh, can you maybe assure our listeners and viewers that uh, nothing terrible happened to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously I got into a fight with an anti-vaxxer. Things got very, very... <laughs> <easy>. um, <laughs> uh, no, on a serious note, it's, it's... Yeah, the only time I ever shave these days is for this show because it's webcams <laughs> on. And... Uh, yeah about half an hour ago i cashed myself pretty badly i'm obviously completely out of practice in shaving so yeah i'll be i'll be dabbing the blood away from it when i'm off screen but you will see me probably <laughs> bleeding on screen
0: <laughs> good stuff well joining us this week is a familiar face he is our fellow UniBath ambassador he is the never gpi global poker award nominated ian simpson Ian, welcome to the show
2: what a lovely welcome! Yes, thank ah. you for that awfully warm welcome. So kind. <laughs> well, looking,
0: you might not be recognised for your work as a streamer uh, this year, <laughs> but you did so make a triumphant return. <laughs> but you did make a triumphant return to the live felt last week final tabling both the high roller and the main event of the 888 Live Festival in London. How many trophies did you pick up there?
2: Um, I got close to two. Close, uh, close to, to a trophy, okay. Yeah,
0: close to two trophies. You did get pretty close to two trophies. In fairness, Darren and I played the Unibet IPO and the WSOP in the autumn of last year, but this was the first time you ventured outside of your house for poker in almost, I want to say, two years. I think more, it's two years. two years. More than yeah. two years, my goodness. Apart from the final tables, which I promise I will ask you about in a, just a moment <laughs> or two, how was the experience of going to the big city, going to London? Oh. Oh, Dude, you just, you,
1: you, 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 your audio just
2: went mental there, David.
0: Oh, no. Did my audio go weird? Apologies to our listeners
2: oh, there. Fuck the listeners. You deafened me and Dara. Well. Get the shit out of us. Also, the camera is never pointing to me. It's always highlighted on you, David. You well, it,
0: it, it, it's go, it goes to the moneymaker.
2: It goes it, to it, the moneymaker. maker. It, it yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I apologize for that horrible sound and I will try and remove that sound in edit which will make it even more weird that we're referring to the sound that hopefully you guys don't have to listen to but any to answer my question what was it like going to the big city and uh playing some live poker
2: it was mixed i woke up on wednesday morning with this big sense of dread of i don't want to leave i don't want to leave my house um, which is crazy because I love live poker, I love traveling, and I haven't done it in, like you said, two and a bit years. Uh, I mean, I missed the, the last Unibet Open of 2019 because I'm always pregnant then. So it's before then was my, my last live event. But as soon as I got on the train, I just sort of tucked into a good book and was quite content. And then I got to London and saw the familiar sights of London and felt, you know, kind of back to normal. Then walked into the Vic, and there was real poker players there. I haven't seen a poker player in two and a bit years. So I got a huge hug from Jack Hardcastle. I got a huge hug from the Tower and all these other wonderful poker players who, I, who I've missed dearly. These friends who I've, I've, been, I've, you know, I've been getting to know these people for the, over a decade of playing poker. And I finally got to see them again after so long. So it was just fucking fantastic.
0: And not only was it nice to see everybody, but it turns out you remember how to play live poker too. No crazy eyes, I assume. Tell us briefly, because that was a very long-winded story about your day out in London. Jack, tell us briefly about the final table or both final
2: tables. No, you said I remember how to play poker. I really fucking didn't. Jack, Jack <laughs> said, Jack said that, that player on your table is the right fucking weapon. That, those were his exact words. And he's a tell box. So there was this guy who was limping Queen Six offsuit and calling raises out of position. It was wonderful. But Jack said he's a massive tellbox. So I flopped top pair against the guy and he starts lighting his stack on fire and he jams all in on the turn and I've got top pair. And I almost snap called, but then I thought, oh, I'll, I'll think about live tells because Jack said this guy's a tellbox. And I'm looking at the guy and he's acted really quick and he's quite animated. And I looked at him and I thought, I have no fucking idea about your hand strength from any of your, your, your mannerisms. I'd completely forgotten the whole, the whole fucking lot. How useful was it that Jack just told you he's a tell box, but didn't tell you what his tell was? <laughs> well, it just, it, it, I just assumed it was obvious, and then I'm looking at him, and he's making all these like movements and like not being like discreet or anything, and I, I still have no idea. Is he full of it? Does he have it? You also neglected to say you had top pair, but like, what was your kicker? Was it a two? <laughs> the queen. Was it, a it was the queen, and it was good. He had ten jack offsuit against my queen ten <laughs> suited, and I got him. Well, go on. where did you finish in each tournament and then we'll move on because I hate talking about your success. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I got eighth in the high roller and I got fifth in the main event. I got five and a half grand in the high roller and I got 19,000 something in the main.
0: Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Dara, the last live tourney you played was the WSOP Turbo that you final tabled. Uh, since then, obviously, it's been more restrictions in Ireland postponing. I know a few events that were on the calendar. Are you chomping on the bit now for a bit of live poker or not too fussed?
1: Um, probably similar to Vegas, mixture of dread and excitement. Um, not exactly chomping at the bit, but there is going to be a lot of live poker. I haven't broken it to my wife yet, but
0: yeah, <laughs> there's
1: uh, the the Irish Poker Tour Grand Final, which has been rescheduled from the end of January is now towards the end of February. Um, the uh, then I'm probably do Prague almost certainly do Prague and then obviously we'll be into uh, Norwegians and Irish Open which at time of airing it looks optimistic that we'll go ahead um, the government the noise is kind of coming from the government here that things will be back to pretty much normal maybe by the end of March um, so that'll be just in time for the Irish Open uh, before that I, I will get sort of a, um, a second-hand taste briefly of live poker and doing some commentary this weekend on the world series of poker circuit main event in rosvadov um i don't have to travel to rosvadov for that i'll be doing it from home but um, yay at least i will (laughs) see what live poker looks like on the screen very good very good well
0: on the subject of live poker in ireland there were three big announcements in the last few weeks as you say Maybe the restrictions in Ireland suggest that it's going to be March, but the Irish Poker Tour final will now be scheduled for Limerick on February 24th, having originally been planned for Galway in late January. The Irish Open, I believe, is going to go ahead in City West again, fingers crossed for that one, from the 11th to the 18th of April. And then the Dublin Poker Festival, which has historically been sponsored by Unibet, we don't know if it will be yet, but fingers crossed for that too, uh, has been postponed from its original date, which I think was going to be February, but now it's going to be in the Bonington Hotel from the 28th of April to the 8th of May. So that's a good bit away. So there's a very good chance that one will go ahead. I want to move on now. Speaking, I suppose, of the experience of playing live after so long, Ian, I noticed that you opted to wear a mask at the table in London. That is when you weren't stuffing your face full of oatmeal or banana or whatever else that you were sticking in your gob. This drew some curious comments I felt from people in chat and on Twitter. The answer seems pretty obvious, but you're a science guy, so...
2: Why don't you explain the reasons that you chose to wear a mask? Why did I wear a mask during a pandemic? Yeah. It's a, it's a fucking mystery, isn't it? It was Listen, so weird. For those genuinely wondering, and people and someone pointed out that while well, I was eating at the table. Well, yeah, of course I was eating. Humans tend to need to do that if they want to fucking function. Uh, but yeah, what about um, all the COVID that was sprinkled on your yeah, oatmeal? COVID, down? that's it, that's it. Extra mm, oatmeally COVID. So yeah, wearing a mask reduces your viral load. If, if you wear it for thirty seconds, that is thirty seconds of a reduced viral load. And the more viral particles you are introduced to at any one in any one instance, the more severe your infection will be. So wearing a mask for half the time would be better than not wearing the mask at all. Wearing the mask 90% of the time, which although I was eating a lot, I think it was probably (laughs) 89% of the time I was wearing the mask. So that was reducing the viral particles that could escape from me and get into my face for those length of the time while I was wearing the mask. Yeah, I noticed enough sort
0: of sciencey words there from my junior search, <laughs> uh, biology and chemistry or whatever it was. Uh, speaking of science, I've noticed you, Ian, getting regular debates with uh, oh. Alex Fox and Chrissy Bignell on Twitter. If you had to sum up the crux of your disagreement with those guys, because I know it's sort of sometimes it's a different article as a jumping off point or a different tweet that one or other of you have put out there. What would you say it sort of keeps boiling down to?
2: Well, first of all, I wanna point out that typically things that are debates haven't been settled, whereas the science on all this has been settled. So it's not a debate, it's just pointing out why they're wrong. Um, What does it boil down to? That scientists have put in a lot of work finding out the efficacy and safety of a vaccine for the pandemic we are enduring and the safety and efficacy of the masks. Can't believe that's a fucking debate on the spread of COVID-19 and it comes down to it's, it's kind of weird because they'll present information and then the, one, one thing one of their go-tos is to look at VIA's data and they say oh there's been this many deaths since the vaccines and then when you go to the VIA's website it says this data is not to be used in that way um, and then they cry foul, saying, well, it obviously can't be trusted then. But hang on, you were the one using that data to make your points. So it's kind of trying to have it both ways. Um, yeah, and and the the problem with debates like these is that people who are against vaccines for whatever reason, people who've fallen for the misinformation, cry foul on whatever evidence you produce. So if you produce a peer-reviewed study that's had, it's been you know, looked at by scientists and looked at independ- by independent scientists, they, if it doesn't agree with them, they immediately dismiss it as fraudulent, as bogus, as corrupt. So as soon as evidence won't be listened to for that reason, you can't have a debate. There's no, fair, there's no going forward from that point. If you, if you decry everything that disagrees with, with you as a hoax, there's no discussion to be had.
0: Yeah, my biggest concern when looking at this stuff, because again, I, I will be very honest uh, and, and something Dara says a lot when it's come up in the show, because it's obviously a topic that gets discussed because it has real world implications on you know poker and things we do. But it does feel as though these guys have exercised a sceptical part of their brain, which is no harm. It's good to be sceptical, particularly when big farm and politicians are involved, not necessarily, and certainly historically bad actors at times. But it just feels like they've, Abandoned those sources of information and then gone for even worse ones, which does <laughs> you feel like the same skepticism isn't being deployed uh, as rigorously, certainly. Then, when they find things on, you know, uh, freedomeagle69.com or whatever the <laughs> like site they've found their, their new code.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it it bamboozles me that someone can be so adept in one very complicated area of life, poker. And then not be able to have that. Because you've got to be honest and self-reflecting in poker. And you've got to be sort of be intellectually honest with yourself. And to not be able to apply that skill to another topic seems crazy, but that's what's going Mm. on.
0: Well, one final bit of COVID discussion. Uh, This is actually a subject Darren and I have weighed in on. Uh, We discussed it with Jennifer Tilly on our Christmas show not long ago. Uh, But I know you have a strong opinion on it too, Ian. What should happen to players who have a stack but find out midway through a tournament that they have COVID?
2: Yeah, this is not fucking easy at all. Um, I put a post on social media about this before we knew Omicron existed. And I was calling for ICM payouts for people who test positive, who have a day two to play. Because the alternative is to hope that a player will be honest, get a test, if testing positive surrender the equity. I think I put this out before the World Series, so my example at the time was looking at the main event. If you bag 10 starting stacks in a 10K event, your equity, 100K, right? You're asking someone to surrender 100Ks worth of equity. I mean, less with ICM and and whatnot, but you're asking people to surrender a lot of equity for the benefit of others. Human beings aren't always very good at that. Uh, Putting other people before themselves and yeah. My views lately changes a little bit because we don't know everything about Omicron yet, but obviously still on the cautious side of things. There's also problems with Willie Elliott pointed out that if poker stars for their events, instead of disqualifying the stacks of people who test positive, they would let them blind out. So then they've got a chance of getting into the money. But I would argue that's still not enough to get people to be honest, to not play the event if they tested positive. And that an ICN payout, even a capped ICN payout, so maybe they could only get X percentage of the prize pool From their ICM value of their stack then there was a cap on the amount they could cash out with. I think that would be a very reasonably fair way of going ahead which would also protect the players in terms of public safety as well. We do have a new variant though and we don't know we don't know everything about the new variant yet so the discussion has to be reopened as we learn more about Omicron as well.
0: Yeah, some good suggestions there. Obviously, Dara, you and I sort of settled. I don't know if we fully agreed, but we were I guess we were sort of fumbling around similar to what Ian's doing there to try and figure out what is fair. And and I guess we sort of settled on to maybe 80 percent of ICM being incentivizing enough, to be honest, and not over incentivizing sort of licking lampposts for COVID when you had a lot of ICM equity going into a day four or something.
1: Yeah, I think that's that, that's an important point, too, because if you, if you give somebody their full ICM, you know, they will reach a point where most many people, let's say, would actually just take their ICM uh, as a preference to playing. If there's 80 people left and your ICM is worth a couple of hundred grand and 80th is paying 15 grand, um, you have a pretty strong incentive, or at least a lot of people would, to um, to sort of cash in at that point. And, you know, you even see that deep in the WSOP main event, for example, uh, Jack Sinclair famously sold himself at ICM when he made the final table. Um, you, you, You might have people who make the final table of the... World Series main, main event going, well, next payout's a million, but my ICM is five million. Maybe I'll just get COVID and take that five million. Um, so there, I guess there has to be some sort of punishment factor on that as well. Um, before we move on to COVID, I I have been following Ian's uh, debates, and I think part of the problem here is just the casting uh, of the different roles. Like I can buy Alex Fox in, in the kind of like jock who's a bit suspicious of all the nerds and doesn't fully believe that they're doing well. <laughs> But I really don't buy Ian as the as the and here's the science guy. Like Ian Ian is the mad lad in chemistry chemistry who's just swallowed whatever was in the was in the test tube, uh, and now has to be rushed to hospital. He's not the lad who's going to like bat for science. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: amazing
0: I um, just stop the show there I think we're not going to reach a, a higher point in this episode
2: I mean, I'm, I mean I'm fucked now you've just debunked the side of the vaccines and the arguments now Dara way to go you're going to be you're going to be responsible for the next wave that's it <laughs> okay
0: moving on moving on swiftly uh, here is a topic we cover a lot on the chip race but actually don't give it quite so much love on this show yes mental game coaching in poker takes many forms. We've had on the show in the past Jared Tendler, Trisha Gardner, Tommy Angelo, Elliot Rowe, and more recently Baman Zargami and Jason Sue. Yesterday, Dara and I had a wonderful interview with karina karageva from mindset design a mindset coach who approaches mental game improvement in a scientific way skipping in her words the motivational bullshit Uh, that interview will appear on an upcoming show so do look out for it but i thought it could be a nice springboard maybe for our own chat on the subject now dara you're not a mental game coach but you are a coach what advice do you give players in this area
1: yeah, the only time I use, I ever have to sort of lean into mental game coaching uh, is when one of my students makes a big final table, and they generally come to me looking for a session at that point. Now, there's very little you can do for them technically at that point. Like They're not going to learn in the next three to four hours exactly how to play a final table. Obviously, you can go through some technical stuff like their current stack size and what their current ICM is and how that might change if they doubled up. Um, but one thing I found over the years doing this was that you can add a lot more value sort of by just preparing them mentally to play the final table um, properly. And for me, the the key to that has always been just to anticipate what can happen, specifically the bad things that can happen. Um, like it's all very well telling a guy, this is how you should play the final table. Then he goes in and he loses half of the stack firsthand. And then he just goes on tilt and, and, and you know, punts it off. So look, he's si- he's sitting right here, Darren. There's no need to. <laughs> can, there's no need to be so mean. Yeah, with his ninth and his fifth. Um, but uh, yeah, like so, so. So I went to this thing of where I sort of did a checklist of imagine all the things that can that can go possibly go wrong for you. You know, you lose half your stack to a bad beat say early on that that's going to affect you uh, just think about how you, you you will you would feel in that situation and how you would react what you would do to prevent yourself actually going on tilt long periods of car death is another one you know people get very impatient when they're car dead and you kind of have to keep reminding yourself that you just have to keep playing your strategy and stick to that um irrespective of whether you're at you you're on a rush or you're car dead um so Karina is somebody I got to know on social media in, in the last couple of months and was really impressed just by her approach and by the approach of her team in general. First of all, it's based um, on, <clears throat> on sound neuroscientific principles on how the, the human mind actually works as as opposed to how it's supposed people think it, or people hope it works. Um, and one phrase which really jumped out for me <clears throat> when she describes herself is she describes herself as a demotivational speaker. speaker not a motivation speaker because it is kind of toxic all this sort of at least from from my perspective all this sort of you know think positive and great things will happen this magical thinking which you see a lot in the poker world it's far more useful i think to sort of anticipate negative think negative and then be prepared to react to it when it happens as poker players we constantly have to do that like i i said once poker is not difficult when everything is going well. The reason why poker is difficult is it's difficult to stick to your strategy and keep doing the right things when you're getting constantly punched in the face and bad beats left, right and center. But that's really what makes a, a poker player long-term. Um, so yeah, um, I'm personally very excited by Karina and her team's approach to this. And I think it's a very, very good fit for poker um, where you know we have more negative experiences than positive experiences.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded here, I don't know if it was a John Barnes commercial, but do you remember PMA? And it was like it was an an ad for milk or an ad for something on, on UK TV in the 80s. And, uh, and, yeah, it was sort of PMA, positive mental attitude, and that was sort of seen as the, the be-all and end-all. But I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's so much more dangerous to go in overconfident than it is to go in underconfident, maybe specifically poker. Maybe there are other sports where you sort of want to keep your confidence high and it makes a little bit more sense, but definitely in something that's punctuated like poker and where the terrain can change as quickly as you described there, obviously. Ian, what do you do to work on your mental game? Uh, obviously, we've referred to your crazy eyes many times were the crazy eyes in london you've had two
2: years to work on it the crazy eyes did come out in london but they, they came out they, they came out they came out with with their own blockers you know they've been they've been upgraded you know they know, ah. they know when, yeah yeah they know when to use a flush blocker now so that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> so, so the uh, eyes
0: are just widening staring
2: at the blocker <laughs> yeah just stare at that ace of i've cliff. got the two of hearts
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um <laughs> What helps my mental game is just being prepared. I actually had a, a conversation with Dara not so long ago about how people treat the game. And Dara mentioned it's a lot more like university now, where the people who study are the ones who succeed. And throughout my life, whenever I've been studying, I felt confident. Like when I was when I was at university, <clears throat> uh, going into, into a test, the more I'd studied, the more confident I felt and the better I performed. I get confidence from study, so I get... And that makes when the bad beats happen a lot more palatable because it's not an unknown situation. If I bust out in a tournament in a situation where I wasn't sure, that can dent my confidence because, well, I have came across something I don't know, so I haven't been prepared for it. So it's kind of on me. Regardless of how the beat occurred, I wasn't totally prepared. That is on me. So, yeah, study gives you confidence. Confidence improves the mental game. It lets you take the, the bad things, as, as Dara was talking about. And that's, that's the other thing. When I, when I went into the final tables this week, I looked at my stack, and I had a good stack, and I said to myself, the guy on your left has half as many chips as you. You can lose half your stack in one hand and just be prepared for that exact situation. So when it happened, and it did actually happen, I was, you know, this is just one of the eventualities, and that's okay. On we go. I know what I'm doing with 20 bigs now.
0: Yeah, I remember that moment. I think you'd ace king against kings and you'd already put in the three bet and he put in the four bet shove. So what were you gonna do? Um yeah if this is a subject guys that interests you because I think a lot of poker players do take an interest in this maybe after a certain point maybe after they've sort of got a handle on some strategic stuff and then they they look for other ways to find edge Uh, I do strongly recommend checking out our past interviews with all those mental game coaches I mentioned I'd also recommend checking out Mindset Design's first podcast interview which will be with Dara O'Carney in coming weeks Uh, Dara I know you're recording that with the guys tomorrow so I'm fascinated to get your direct take right after but uh, obviously that will be like a 90-minute session or something in that vicinity. So I'm guessing you're going to go deep. I'm going to guess that you're going to get into a lot of good stuff there.
1: Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, Karina is very professional and sent me all the questions in advance so I can think about what I'm going to say. We're going to go pretty deep and also talk about your favourite subject, the overlap between running and poker and what I brought into <laughs> running to to poker. Um, I do love that subject, by the way. I just <laughs> feel
0: like occasionally our show is a running show.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, I mean, I'm going to be the first episode they record, but I think they're also recording with other people like Ape Styles and, and, and some other heavy hitters. And I'm not sure which order they're going to go out in. I might not be the first one uh, out, but it certainly should be out in the next month or so. Um, and yeah, I'm, not, I'm looking forward to the chat um, because I think we have we are kind of coming from a similar place on on, on the whole mindset stuff um one thing that ian uh, said there which which i thought was absolutely excellent was, was he talking about how when you have studied and you know a spot that that just automatically eradicates a lot of your mental game problems. That's a point uh, Jared Tender actually made in our first book on satellites when we went and asked him to write a chapter. He said, look, if you if you learn everything that's in this book and you understand satellites, then you'll find it much easier to deal with, you know, when you take a bad beat near a bubble or a satellite for something, because you'll you at least know that you made the right play and that you will make money in the long term. Um, and I think that's something which is often overlooked. You know, people <clears throat> sort of focus on maybe little mental tricks or ways of reframing things, which, which can be helpful, but really the most helpful thing is just to be pretty good at poker and to understand the spots. And then it's a lot easier to have a strong mental game. I think a lot of the naysayers in the mental area, and I'm thinking of people like Mason Malmuth, that's kind of their basic point They're They're kind of saying, well, just get very, very good at poker. And then these things aren't an issue. I think they still are an issue because, you know, bad, bad stuff happens and you have to be prepared for it. But nevertheless, the main point is uh, one of the great ways to just improve your mental game is just improve your game, period.
0: Yep, well said. Next up, we're going to talk about poker ambassadors. It's always the case that poker ambassadors come in and out of those roles within sites and whatnot. Contracts with sites normally last one or two years. There's sometimes a bit of musical chairs, uh, too, with players moving between sites, one site to another, even onto another again. We all have been, of course, very lucky to be with Unibet for five years now. I think that actually makes us three of the longest serving ambassadors for their individual sites. In recent weeks, though, it seems like Party Poker specifically are slimming down their team, two fantastic ambassadors in Mike Axton and Louise Butler ended their partnerships. I also noticed the hiring of uh, DJ Steve Ioki to WPT and boxer Chris Eubank Jr. to 888. I'm sure there have been others, you know, as I said, it's that time of year when, you know, contracts tend to end and whatnot, but I couldn't help but notice there that it's sort of poker players out and these mainstream stars in. And we have seen this before, of course, in the industry. And, And I certainly can understand the reason why, Uh, looking to get into the demographics of people who have big followings, particularly if it's sort of young male followings, which I guess is the sort of sweet spot in the eyes of a lot of poker marketeers is where they have to find their next generation of players or whatnot. But I have to say that I am... Biased, sure, as a player, but I I really don't like it. I don't like to see this lean into the mainstream stars over and above the the sort of the good poker stories and good ambassadors and people who sort of have something to offer in that department, whether it be as a role model or a consultant internally, or just like an iconic figure too. Darryl, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, the poker industry seems to just kind of go backwards and forwards in this a lot. Obviously, when we started, it was almost unheard of for anybody who wasn't a poker player to be sponsored. And then there was a whole period where it seemed it was very hard as a poker player to get sponsored. And, you know, you had to be a Hollywood star or a Brazilian footballer or a Spanish tennis player or something like that. And then they seem to come back to uh, players, but kind of built around the content creation model, not just players who were making final tables, but players who were big on Twitch or who had a very successful podcast or, you know, were were, were well known for their content, let's say. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure that this is a major trend. I mean, I would say, you know, sample size. Um, so we have had two non-poker people hired by poker sites. I'm not sure that it's going to be a massive trend, but it could be. I mean, we don't have access to the same data as the sites have, obviously. And I presume that they internally, they sort of work out what, how effective each hire is for them. And, you know, it might be the case that they're saying, well, actually, uh, people with a big social media following who are not already in poker, if we can even get 1% to 1% of their followers in, that's more than a typical poker ambassador, uh, poker player ambassador will bring in. Um, I'll be particularly interested to see uh, what Gigi's um, direction is going forward, because I think the one big imponderable is the impact of Bilzerian. Um, a lot of poker players have sort of said it's it, it's entirely negative, but we don't know that for sure. It's possible that some of his followers have come in and and without wanting to brag about it, GG are keeping quiet. If GG go and sign other similar types of, you know, outside of poker celebrities, then I think that will be a clear indication that, first of all, they think the Bilzerian signing actually was successful for them in terms of attracting new players. And I think other sites might then go in that direction as well so I think the next few months will be quite interesting see what GG do do they do they renew do they continue with Bilzerian or do they get other players like that since they signed Bilzerian they've mostly signed poker players in fact almost exclusively I think Um, so you know let's say there are different signals out there
0: but I thought Bilzerian made all his money from poker and uh, he fits the bill as one of these poker players. I, 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 I'm confused now. I watched that podcast at Doug's and now now you say it this way. I, I don't know who to believe. Ian, your thoughts?
2: I've got a couple of thoughts. First thing that springs to mind... Um, two? Two at <laughs> two <laughs> two once. For two final tables, yeah. <laughs> the first thing that springs to mind is that you don't see this in other demographics. You don't see chess companies, particularly bringing in a big footballer to try and expand the reach of chess. And the reason they don't do that is because a professional footballer wouldn't be able to interact with chess players on that level. They're very good within their own niche. So if a, if a recreational player approaches Dan Bazarian, and they're not going to get a very good answer about poker, they're not going to get very good feedback about that. <clears throat> I realize we were talking about, like, because I'm not classing him as a poker player, he's an Instagram Dude. Similar for, similar for, you know, if a big footballer in poker, if someone asks them about poker, it's going to be less intricate as if they asked Dara about poker. So another thought is, well, Dara said, if they get 1% of 1% of their followers, you know, clicking on the site, then that's going to be a good thing. One phenomenon I got made aware of was something called good Hearts law and it's if um, you set a metric for success, the metric immediately becomes a bad measure. I hope I'm quoting that okay. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, because there are ways to hit that metric without actually being successful. If you if you give a social media guru a goal of getting this many likes on a post, well, so what if they get that many likes on a post from a business perspective? Like if, you, if Unibet said, okay, we want... 10,000 likes in this post. Well, that doesn't matter. We, we, we need people on the site, not clicking on Facebook likes. <clears throat> so I also think that's kind of interesting. I wonder if that drives part of it. I wonder if people who are high up in the company say, we want this social media impact and that's been the metric for success. So they hire someone with a big social media following like Ronaldo or Buzarian or whatever, rather than a poker player who can really drive change, really help people get onto the site, really help people with poker.
0: Well, I, I'm enjoying this point because I just have a, a sort of an image in my head now of the site going, well, if we get 1% of 1% of Bilzerian, and then they spin the wheel, and then they're like, oh, another fake one, damn. Oh, it's not a real follower, shit. Let's get 1% of 1%. Of- oh, another fakey. Oh no, why did he buy so many fakies? <laughs> Which, of course, he did. He spent 30 grand of the Ignite budget in 2021 on Instagram followers, whatever the fuck that means. Um, is, that, is, that ver- is that verified? Verified enough for this show. Come after us. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I, think, I think we're relying on the fact that it's not clear what jurisdiction we'd even be sued under uh, for anything to say on this show.
0: Yeah. You can, uh, you can take everything out of my box room. You can have it all. But in, if I'm wrong. Uh Two more topics on the agenda today. The first one is duels. Uh, next week, there will be two hotly anticipated heads-up poker clashes as Phil Helmuth and Tom Duan. Do another one of those high-stakes duels. Um, they're going to play for 100k each, so winner will get 200k, but neither player can take the money off the table just yet. Duan would need to win another match before he could take the money with him. And I think if Helmuth wins, he would have to play two more, which means he would actually be playing... Uh, quite quite big, quite big sums of money. Uh, and actually, I think I'm wrong. Sorry, I think it's 200k each already. So it might be a 400k match and then an 800k match. They have to play anyway. It, it could end up being big money. Is sort of the main point, and they can't take away the spoils of victory just yet. So that one's going to escalate, as they say. That matches on Poker Go, I think on Wednesday night. So I'll probably tune into that one. I have enjoyed the duels. Obviously, Helmut has completely dominated those shows. There's been eight shows so far. He's been on all eight. He won the first seven, beating Esfandiari and then beating Negranu, which we all enjoyed, and then beating that guy Wright. I think his surname was. He's like a sports pundit. And then lost to Dwan, but this is the rematch against Dwan. Who do you like, Ian? Who's going to win that one?
2: Sorry, dude. I have zero interest in these good directions. You just say a name. Jesus, it's not hard. <laughs> the fucking first one. Who's... who's right. Who, Ike. We'll have Ike, sure. He's
0: he's so he, so he believes in the match between Phil Helmuth and Tom Duane. Ike Haxton will win that match. Thanks, Ian. That was a fantastic, fantastic. contribution. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, when you're not talking <laughs> about
2: science or whatever you want he's to talk about, you can me. just switch you off. You can just not he's pay attention to, test you to what I'm talking about. I wasn't switched off. I was tricked. Listen, these high-stakes matches are great... There, should be a great, there, there can be a great learning thing. It's just uh, I prefer consuming other contact, content for learning about poker. And as, far, as for the dick measuring between the players, I, <laughs> it, I do not give
0: Fine, it. we're going to move away from dick measuring. And the other... Big heads up, Jill. Next week is our good friend science writer Alex O'Brien uh, taking on poker superstar Vanessa. Oh, you're happy now, Ian? Well, you can. I'm not yes. going to ask you. I'm going to ask Tara for his opinion off. for this. No,
2: no, no, no. Ask me. Ask me. Ask no, me. no,
0: no. Moving on. I have a good reason. Um, Alex for is playing to be Vanessa asked. for 10k. Shush now. <laughs> Shush. Uh, courtesy of ACR who sort of swooped in to the gap, very big gap left by GG. a year and months uh, Pearl Alex has been waiting for her match against Bilzerian, it was promised a long time ago, I think she she won uh, Dan Bilzerian's 21st birthday free roll in 1999 and is still waiting for her match um, and she will, see See that's see. just in case you are watching Dan, that's me taking things out of context for hilarious satirical effect it's not, you know, something that you get to replay and complain about. It's clearly a joke. You know, like the way Doug made jokes and Thomas made jokes? It's clearly a joke. So therefore, it's like, that's the point. It's not like, this isn't fucking panorama, I suppose, is the point I'm trying to make. Anyway, uh, Daryl, who do you think is going to win between Vanessa and Alex?
1: Um, I mean, I love them both, and I'm rooting for them both, but even though that's not possible. Um, I mean, v- Vanessa is a full-time player. Uh, Alex is a full-time writer. Uh, she's a very good recreational player. Um, it's heads up, so that that's a bit of a leveling field. Um, and certainly, Vanessa wouldn't claim to be a heads up specialist. But you would have to make Vanessa, obviously, the favorite, um, probably like a 60% favorite or whatever. It tends to be when, when, when a pro plays um, a recreational player, heads up. Um, but yeah fair, uh, fair play to ACR for putting this on um, it, it, I'm actually far more interested in this one than I am in helmet against who is it Ike Haxton um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, may as well be now yeah it should, it, it, it's 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 yeah it's a nice closure to that story that started back in 1999 and um, <laughs> you now finally we're getting to see the heads up
0: yeah I totally agree fair play to Vanessa as well if she takes it down for the 10k she has given the 10k to charity um, and, yeah, look, I, I, I would sort of put the, the line similarly. I suppose the one thing I would say is, as you pointed out, Vanessa's not a heads-up specialist, and actually Alex has had pretty much only heads-up Training and coaching for people like Olivier Bousquet and others for the last few months and actually almost a year now. So, her speciality is probably heads up at this point more so than her ring game. So, maybe that might shave off a couple of percent from the 60 40. Maybe she's, <laughs> she she can get up to the, 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 the lower mid 40s there. I really hope she wins as well. I don't think Vanessa would mind if she did it all. And uh, yeah, lo- looking forward to the result of that one. It should be good fun. And also, I should point out that. I do have on good authority that Gigi has reached out to Alex, and it's not dead in the water that she plays Bilzerian. It's still out there as a maybe a possibility they could get the game together.
2: Cool. Listen, listen. Alex actually wanted a heads up match against me for some practice. Uh, I play. I fuck off. I played. I well, look, I, I can't say well. anything,
0: Darian. You, you you swept the floor with me before.
2: The, Alex actually, I played an hour before we went on before we started recording. And yeah, she's she's definitely taken to a bunch of the coaching she's got from Olivier Uh Busquet et al. Um, She's got some moves, so it's not. So obviously, Vanessa playing as a full time professional, you would put your money there. It won't be as skewed as one might think. She's definitely taken to it very well if she had more time we actually talked with her so if she had more time she could be a vicious poker player but you know she's got a, a writing career so it's hard to put in the thousands of hours you have to to be an amazing poker player when you've got you know a writing career uh, she's a she's a she's a as well you know so yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting match to watch.
1: Yeah, looking forward to seeing that. That game is on Friday on ACR. Can, can I revise my uh, pro- my prospects for Alex Danwards now
2: that I know she's a fortune for me? <laughs> <laughs> she's only 35% 7, now, is she? She's only 30 Vanessa now, yeah. If anyone's yeah, putting money on this, that bet just it. got fucked.
1: I think normally a uh, amateur against a pro would be about thirty seventy. So I'd moved it up to forty after hearing you know busquet <laughs> and. i have probably gone back down to thirty five now. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I would like to point out that both Alex O'Brien and Vanessa Cade are nominated for GPI Global Poker Awards, which brings us to that very subject. We spoke about this with Eric Danny. Obviously, on the last show, he was the man who had all the knowledge of the voting systems and different things and different panels and how it was all going. And I hope we gave you a decent amount of coverage on how that was happening. But now the award nominations are out. They're down to their short list of usually four. There might be one category where there's five, but I think it's pretty much all fours. And uh, we spoke about a few people we really wanted to see uh, win the thing. So it was great to see Christian Zetchev, for example, make the final four. I know all three of us are delighted about that. Christian has worked on a lot of Unibet events down the years. And he seems to be the blogger at every event you ever attend. Even if we're all attending different events in a different place on the same day, he seems to be at all of them blogging faster and putting out more content on each one somehow. I don't know how he does that. Um, But Darren, what was your reaction when you saw Christian's name there? It's good to see him in the mix.
1: Yeah, I was delighted. He's, he's the Phil Collins of uh, of the poker world. <laughs> For those who don't get that reference, because it's forty years old, Phil Collins was the only guy who played both uh, both sides of the Atlantic in the um, in the live concert back in '85. Christian does seem to be everywhere, so it, it's it's almost like there's an army of Christians out there. There has to be a Christian's that should, Um and he his, his productivity is just amazing, and how accurate he is. I mean, we've we've said all this before, so I won't repeat it. But yeah, I mean, if Christian doesn't win that category there's something seriously wrong um yeah. pitchforks there'll be pitchforks if he yeah. doesn't win
0: um photographer danny maxwell has been nominated okay. in the media content photo category for his pretty much perfect photo of colorful pro brandon shaq harris and his umbrella at the table at wsop i have to say it is my very favorite picture of the year so i really hope he wins but i want to give a shout out also to Haley hoxtelter for her probably soon to be iconic image of an empty pavilion room at the end of the last WSOP at the Rio. I can imagine it's going to be pretty close between the two of them. Some great photos in the mix, obviously, but I, I do think it's, uh, it's, it's the two of them. will
2: fight it out. Ultimately. Ian, did you see these photos? Which one did you like the best? I did. Uh, I would, I don't know. I'm meaning it wasn't the, the cheery one from Danny Maxwell. I am biased towards Danny because he took, he took this photo, if I may share it, uh, <laughs> of me at the Irish Open. Amazing! yeah, 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 yeah. So I am biased towards that. But yes, Haley's picture of the empty Rio, there's something... I mean, whenever I've seen that, I've always had my balls done in. So that reminds me of misery, usually, you know? By the time the Rio is empty, so is my bank. <laughs> so so all the money's so gone. Yeah, it's hard to like that photo for that reason. But no, it is, a, it is like you say, it is a
0: class photo.
2: It's really
0: I Actually, Ian, if Danny show. wins, I think you can probably sell your engagement photo there as an NFT and make billions.
2: Million, uh, yeah, gonna be rich. <laughs>
0: well in the streamer category Dara you picked Uh, Kevin Martin and he is very much in the mix he's got some tough opposition it must be said in the form of Lex Spraggy and Ape Styles maybe I'll go back to you Ian actually for this one because we got (laughs) Dara's take on Kevin last time round you are a streamer after all so who do you like for this category who the four do you think will win
2: listen they're all have absolutely fantastic followings and Hit to different niches for their different personality types. So it's really going to be difficult to uh, to separate between the four of them. All four of them could be deserving winners if you ask me. Um, what a crap yeah, answer! There's, well, there's, Ike Axton is the match that he's
0: not even playing, and one of the four. Are you even listening?
2: I think he wants Ike Haxton to win this one too. Yeah, I, I might win this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's all, the, the thing about the streamers is that there are. It's also very saturated. There's so many poker streamers out there. And there's some sort of under the radar ones who are absolutely fantastic who have these lovely little communities being built. Uh, so you know, it's it's a it's, yeah, but why it's haven't you jumped in and, cu- and cut off his attempt
1: to explain his pathetic showing in this thing? And <laughs> that, that 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 is a very heavily competed. there are far more podcasts than there are streamers, and we still got nominated, so suck it up, you. Oh, yes, yes,
2: yes. <laughs> you, you pick but he part of the podcast. Back. Yeah, yeah, you made you all pick topics. Every topic in this section, in this lock-in, was geared so that you could you could make fun of me at one point. Every, do you want to answer the phone Ian? Do you want to go take
0: a phone call in the middle of the fucking show? Really? Answer it.
2: Answer uh, it. uh, Hello. Yes. Yes, he is a (laughs) coach. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, he, I, th- I think he signaled to Emma that it's turned nasty. <laughs> to go, call me, without, without <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're being too mean.
2: <laughs> call me, give me something important to leave this fucking interview for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do sort of want to ask you a question, a follow up on, on the streaming because obviously you've been a streamer for quite a number of years. Um, and you know, a big part of that is you know, what you do off camera, I guess, as well. There's obviously a lot of community building wrapped into the job. So I thought maybe you could speak to that and maybe you know these guys have obviously done a great job over the years of building their communities as well. How important is the off the table stuff?
2: Very, and it's not something I, I don't think I give it as much gusto as I could. It's definitely something I could work on in my own professional development, I think, being more active on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's important. I don't know what else to say about that. The more you interact with the audience, wh- wherever the, whatever the platform, the more they're going to come and watch you. So even if you're active on Instagram, it's going to help your Twitch following too.
0: Very good. Well, for breakout player, uh, we mentioned last time out, Vanessa Cade and Kyna England, who both made the shortlist, but no Jack Hardcastle. Boo. Boo. Um, Boo. This is as good a time as any now, I guess, uh, to point out that there weren't too many non-North Americans voted across the board. It was, as we sort of predicted with Eric Denny last time around, a bit of an American, mostly USA, but North American in general affair. Uh, I know Eric is obviously, he has hopes and dreams of it being much more multinational, multicultural, but it it didn't pan out this time. Uh, In fact, I did a little tally, 155 I went at 0.5 because it was it was co-host of a podcast. I, I made Hardik in European, but Stapes is obviously North American. 15.5 of the 68 nominees in the 17 panel voted categories. That's only 23% are not from the USA or Canada. One caveat I would point out, though, is that this was a slightly weird year where the vast majority of live poker was played in the US and a number of the industry categories are very much related to live events. So they were always going to go that way. But nonetheless, it's a really small number. And I think it shows to my mind that while it's fine to do global awards, if they are not sufficiently serving, sufficiently shining, I suppose, a spotlight on poker from all around the world, then you do have to maybe reconsider continental awards where, you know, we could shine a light on maybe the less obvious stuff or people doing things in their regions, which is really important, particularly people doing things in non-English speaking uh, territories. Darryl,
1: your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, w- we're bitching that not enough Europeans are there, um, but actually the people who really lose out are the non American, non-Europeans. Once once you move outside those two groups, there's almost nobody nominated. And the ones who were came in player categories where, you know, people like Michael Adamo, where it's just, you know, you just couldn't possibly ignore him. Um, but I mean, Eric made this point himself, um, you know, that stuff like the Brazilian series of poker, for example, tends to get overlooked. Um, there was a Japanese content creator in the best personality. So, you know, things are moving in the right direction. But I think, yeah, whatever it is, 53 to Fifteen feels very, very skewed. It probably should be about 50-50. I mean, obviously, American Canada is huge in the poker world. Nobody's arguing that. Nobody's arguing that. It's just that a, the three-to-one ratio feels off. And f- to be truly global awards, I think we should probably see more Australians, more South Americans, more Asians, etc. cetera. Um, I think probably it comes down to who they're polling. I suspect if you got a list of the voters, you would find that the geographical uh bias is also th- th- that we see in the nominees is also there to the same degree in the voters. Um, so you're obviously Americans are going to know other Americans. We're not claiming that Americans are voting for Amer- Americans on patriotic grounds. It's just that you're going to know more about them, uh, the people in in, in your immediate <laughs> um poker ecosystem rather than you know some, some lad in Brazil who who has loads of followers there. Um, so I think to be truly global awards are going to have to spread the net wider in terms of who they're getting to vote, who they're asking.
0: I'm not sure. Dar, I'm not, like It could be part of the Trump doctrine that, you know, America first, that maybe they do have to vote for each other. Maybe it isn't allowed. I'm not sure.
1: Um, no, I think I think that's unfair because, I mean, I know I know from talking to some Americans, <laughs> that, that you know, se- several Americans told me that they voted for us, for example. Um, so people don't just vote on geographic lines. But it's just, you know, like when you go to the Eurovision, you see that most countries vote for their neighboring countries because they're the ones who are most that they, they know the most about and probably have the most similar tastes as well. Um, so so I think that's the issue. They, they they needed to be truly representative of the whole poker world rather than just, well, these are the people we interact with, so let's send them all a ballot.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think joking aside, it is human nature to do that. So maybe the way you fix that is in the voting panels you select and, and, and you spoke well to that. Just to back up your point as well, Dara, 12 and a half, of the 15 and a half votes were for Europe, two for Australia, one for Asia and not a single South American in the mix. So that really does paint a fairly obvious picture that it's basically English speaking only and not very much outside of USA, Canada and Europe, then you really are slim pick and try and find a nominee out there. Uh, Ian, I mentioned there how, like, maybe a solution to this is to sort of have regional awards as well. I'm sure a lot of people are going, oh, I fucking can't stand these awards anyway. Stupid award. Every Awards or ceremonies are stupid. And, they're absolutely entitled to their opinion. I, I think it is limited what they can achieve. And I, and I think there is a, a huge amount of silliness attached to them, for want of a better way of putting it. But do you think that maybe regional awards would shine a better light on lesser known people and sort of give them the platform? Because ultimately, the only use of these kinds of award ceremonies for the industry as a whole, as Eric said last week was to sort of shine a spotlight on the industry versus other industries, which is great. But then for individuals, it's to shine a light on their content and give them a little promotional boost. So if you're not finding enough non-mainstream or non-poker mainstream people, like you might find more of those people with a
2: regional award. What do you think? Yeah, a hundred percent. I can't help but think back to sort of what I know about in Twitch because Twitch to a degree isn't totally regional because it's, it's very, multicultural i know my stream it is majority uk players but having said that Ian, like
0: if, if if they did a
2: top five
0: newcastle poker streamers i think you'd just about get in there
2: <laughs> just about get in there just about what is the top five in newcastle yep.
0: newcastle yeah could you actually check my check check the information we could be wrong Ian. maybe you might have just missed out on a nomination but we are checking that <laughs> i'll off, take off six. Camera
2: now. six is fine by me yeah <laughs> But yes, I agree. I imagine language barriers might be part of the problem when you're talking about sort of non-English countries getting more recognition. It would require lots of people being fluent in various languages to be able to get the communication lines between them and the the owners of GPI. Uh, I don't think there's a very easy solution, so I'm not going to pretend to be able to present one. Uh, but yes, it would be very nice to see more representation. I wonder if there could be more uh, refined Twitch awards as well, because there are some absolutely fantastic streamers out there um, who can't really touch Lex and Spraggy and Ital because you know they're in the in the thousands and thousands of viewers, um, and it's very hard to to compete with that. I think there's I think there's definitely recognition to be had for some of the smaller streamers who are, you know performing extremely well and putting on good shows absolutely one final question before we go Dara you you made a very good point to me
0: off camera a couple of hours ago about how maybe as well when you're trying to compose this voting panel now and I know he does a good job of sort of selecting people for things that they think they'd be expert in or knowledgeable about you know for example we're on the jury for I don't know I think I get maybe eight or nine ballots I'm sure you got something similar but we didn't get all 20 ballots or 17 ballots or whatever it was uh, because obviously it was decided that we wouldn't know enough about maybe some of the other categories or what was out there and one of the things we don't know for sure because we don't know every name and obviously it is supposed to be secret but it would be a fairly good hunch is that there's not maybe a big enough number of players. Clearly, the GPI award tries to fuse industry, which is very valid and it's going to be a lot of industry wonks in there. With players, there's a lot of player awards as well. It's probably split down the middle, actually. It might be half and half or maybe slightly more industry than players, but pretty close. They clearly want the uh, the players showing up at the, at, at the award ceremony. They clearly want a bit of glitz and glamour and, uh, and a bit of star power uh, when they have them. So they do cater to both. Uh, but I wonder then, given that they cater to both Is the makeup of these panels not too industry insider and not enough player, and that maybe that's the kind of outreach they could do in the next twelve months to redress that balance? Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure because we don't know the makeup of the panel. But just looking at the at the results, it does seem that this these are the kind of results you would get if you asked, I don't know, seventy to eighty percent industry people, twenty to thirty percent players, uh, who, who is best in every category. It's difficult, too, because, I mean, there are obviously some categories where clearly industry people are just much better informed. Best industry person, for example, like what do players really know about that? But then there are other areas, and I'd include, you know, podcast, written content, video content, all this stuff, where I think you really should be polling players rather than people in the space. Because ultimately, you know, a poker podcast or a poker Twitch stream or any content like that is aimed at players. And it's the players who should sort of be in the position to say, well, I like this guy better than all his competitors um, because he speaks to me more um, rather than, oh, well, I don't really watch Twitch streams because my job is to write uh, articles for some poker site. and But I've heard of this guy, so I'm going to vote for him because he seems to have a big following. Um, I really wonder if it's the case where we're just moving towards a situation where we're just obviously, um, nominating the foremost watched streamers, for example. Uh, rather than anything else, and, and another bias I think, which which uh, Barry Carter has talked a lot about, is there, there's pretty much no strategy content. Uh, there, I don't. Ape Styles, I think, in the Twitch stream, you could it's Twitch stream category, you could you could say that Ape, Ape Styles' main appeal as a Twitcher is the fact that he's an absolute beast. And he does reveal his strategy in his Twitch streams. But apart from that, you know, you look at written content, you look at video content, et cetera, it's all very heavily skewed towards people writing about, you know, some human interest story in the the thing rather than actual strategy content. And yet most of the sites that are appealing to players um, orient themselves very heavily towards strategy. And, you know, I know, for example, on my blog, if I write a strategy post, that will do better than, uh, you know, me describing what it was like to play the IPO, for example. People are, that's thats actually what people are far more interested in. Um, and I think we're, we're going back to the thing of just the wrong people are being polled um, on, on this stuff. Now, I don't want to hate on the GPI because they do an amazing job. And no matter what they do, people are going to complain. And actually, that's part of the fun. I think I said to you to you earlier um, yeah. that a thing about the awards is definitely the passive aggression of the unnominated. <laughs> <laughs> um, it makes Twitter fun for a few days as you as you see a guy poo pooing the award, going, "Oh yeah, he, he he got overlooked as well."
0: Yeah, look, I I totally agree with the sentiment that Eric, Danny, and all the guys at Pendemob GPI work their asses off all year round to try and put on a good show here, and I think they create something for us all to talk about, and that's great. But I suppose to to fully get behind your point there, I think written content, for example, as as, as an award category, is literally four samples of work and not maybe the body of work somebody did over the year or not a book versus a thousand-word essay. That's very hard to compare. And actually, I think that category of media content used to be just one category. It wasn't even split between photograph uh, uh, written and uh, streamer or video sorry video um, it wasn't even broken down that way so people were actually I think one year being asked to compare a, a funny Doug Polk video to a thousand word essay to a book to I don't know a photograph and it's like well how do you even do any of that stuff so, yeah. silly. so, so in fairness they are sort of getting with the program here and sort of creating clearer categories but I think they could do that even more so I think there's a couple of weird categories which are maybe just there for fun, but they don't really have much of a place in these awards. And I think if you're sacrificing some real recognitions of people to to do silly ones like best trophy, no offense, Kev Mathen, knows your idea. I also know your joke idea that they ran with, but that which is fine, because I get I get the idea of doing silly ones, but don't do a silly one and then not have enough space or time. to do do worthy ones, because I think if you want to do this better, I also agree with you, Dara. I think, you know, finding a way to include players more and maybe even having more player awards in there. I I know you could end up with, you know, people give out with the Golden Globes going on for six hours that it's like fucking giving out like 80 awards or whatever. And I I, I know you don't want to kind of make a really boring event where there's too much of that either. Maybe you can bang out a few technical awards and people go up together to grab their trophies. uh, So it speeds up the night. But yeah, I, I think there is... A ways to go in terms of maybe finding all the deserving categories uh, or, or just categorization really like f- figuring out a way to kind of judge like against like I think would be really good
2: Ian Simpson it has been wonderful to get you back on the show your second visit to the lock-in we love having you on I know you love tormenting me every time I come on the show. It's it's hard. It's hard to appear.
0: Well, like you say that, but then you basically didn't listen whenever it wasn't you talking. And like you know, I was fucking just, listening. We just you just
2: asked questions that were that were outside of my niche. You asked me about COVID, and I was able to rattle off answers very easily. Well, let let, let like other people you. be the judge of that.
0: Uh, Tara O'Carney, <laughs> thank you so much.
2: It was yeah, great to have you. you as well. Thank
1: you, David. Thank you, Ian. Um, yeah, it's just as well you want to see one person on screen every time because every time Ian wasn't uh, t- talking, I think he was doing his tax returns or something.
0: Sure, I, 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 I hope that's it. what he was doing with his hands under the desk level. Uh, I hope it wasn't something else. OK, on that lovely One
2: you two won't win. There is much <laughs> better content for that out there. I give you... you know. Sorry, this show is actually part of the chip race what was
0: put in. So technically, this is an award nominated show that you've just listened I to guys it's for it's the funny. first time. Just want to point that out. Thanks a million. We'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. No, you don't do the sign-offs, Eny. I do the sign-offs. You stay quiet again. Take care, everybody.
2: Such a wanker.